Section 21 of the Underground Railroad, Part 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Underground Railroad, Part 4, by William Still. Section 21. Arrival from Maryland. Philip Stanton, Randolph Nichols, and Thomas Douglas. Philip had a master by the name of John Smith, whom he was very anxious to get rid of, but hardly knew how. For a long time Philip was annoyed in various ways. Being the only slave on the place, there was no rest for him. Said Smith was a bachelor, and his mother, who kept house for him, was quite aged. She was worse than the old boy wanted her to be. A more contrary woman never was. She was bad in this way. She was quarrelsome. And then again she would not give you as much to eat as you ought to have, and it was pretty rough. Nothing but cornbread and the fattest pork, that was about all. She was a Catholic, and was known by the name of Mary Eliza Smith. This was Philip's testimony against his master and mistress. Working on a farm, driving carriage, etc., had been Philip's calling as a slave. His father and mother were free. His father had been emancipated, and afterwards had purchased his wife. One sister, however, was still in slavery. Philip had scarcely reached his twenty-second year. He was nevertheless wide awake and full of courage. Randolph was still younger. He had only just reached his twentieth year, was nearly six feet high, athletic, and entertained quite favorable notions of freedom. He was owned by Mrs. Caroline Brang, a widow. He had never lived with her, however. Notwithstanding the fact that he had been held in such unpleasant relations, Randolph held the opinion that she was a tolerable good woman. He had been hired out, under Isaac Howard, a farmer, who was described by Randolph as a rough man to everybody around him. He was the owner of slaves, and a member of the Methodist Church in the bargain. As if actuated by an evil spirit continually, he seemed to take delight in knocking and beating the slaves, and would compel them to be out in all weathers not fit to be out in. Randolph declared that he had never been allowed a day's schooling in his life. On the contrary, he had often been threatened with sale, and his mind had finally become so affected by this fearful looking for of evil that he thought he had better make tracks. He left his mother, Louisa, three brothers and three sisters, namely Andrew, Mary, Charity, Margaret, Louis, and Samuel, all slaves. His desire to escape brought the thought home to his mind with great emphasis that he was parting with his kinfolk, to see them perhaps no more on earth. That however happily he might be situated in freedom, he would have the painful reflection ever present with him, that those he most loved in this world were slaves, knocked and beat about, and made to work out in all weathers. It was this that made many falter and give up their purpose to gain their freedom by flight. But Randolph was not one of this class. His young heart loved freedom too well to waver. True to his love of liberty, he left all, followed the North Star, and was delivered. 
Thomas, an older companion of Philip and Randolph, was twenty-five years of age, full black, and looked as if he could appreciate the schoolroom and books, and take care of himself in Canada or any other free country. Mary Howard was the name of the individual that he was compelled to address as mistress. He said, however, that she was a very good woman to her servants, and she had a great many. She had sons, but they turned out to be drunkards and followed no business. At one time each of them had been set up in business, but as they would not attend to it, of course they failed. Money was needed more than ever, through their intemperate course. Consequently the mistress was induced to sell her large household, as well as her plantation slaves, to Georgia. Thomas had seen the most of them take up their sorrowful march for said state, and the only reason that he was not among them was attributable to the fact that he had once been owned and thought pretty well of by the brother of his mistress, who interceded in Thomas's behalf. This interference had the desired effect, and Thomas was not sold. Still, his eyes were fairly opened to see his danger, and to learn a valuable lesson at the same time. He therefore profited by it in escaping at the first chance. He left his mother, Ann Williams, and one brother, James Douglas, both slaves. Arrival from Fredericksburg, 1860. Henry Tuttle and wife, Mary Williams. Henry affirmed that for the last twenty years his freedom had been promised him, and during all these long years hardly a month had passed that he had not fixed his hopes upon a definite time when his bondage would end and his freedom commence. But he had been trusting the word of a slaveholder, who had probably adopted this plan simply with a view of drawing more willing toil out of him than he could have accomplished in any other way. Mary complained that she had suffered severely for food, and likewise for privileges. Ezra Haupt was the name of Henry's master, and the name of his mistress was Catherine. She was hasty and passionate. Slaves were shown no quarter under her. Mary was owned by Christian Thomas. He was said to be not so hard, but his wife was very hard, so much so that she would rule both master and slaves. Her name was Mary Elizabeth. Sundry Arrivals from Maryland, 1860. Sam Archer, Louis Peck, David Edwards, Edward Casting, Joe Henry, George and Albert White, Joseph C. Johnson, David Snively, and Henry Dunmore. Sam Archer was to become free at thirty-five years of age. He had already served thirty years of this time. Five years longer seemed an age to him. The dangers from other sources presented also a frightful aspect. Sam had seen too many who had stood exactly in the same relations to slavery and freedom, and not a few were held over their time, or cheated out of their freedom altogether. He stated that his own mother was kept over her time, simply that her master might get all her children. Two boys and two girls were thus gained, and were slaves for life. These facts tended to increase Sam's desire to get away before his time was out. He therefore decided to get off via the Underground Railroad. He grew very tired of Bel Air, Harford County, Maryland. 
and his so-called owner thomas hayes he said that hayes had used him rough and he was tired of rough treatment so when he got his plans arranged one morning when he was expected to go forth to an unrequited day's labor he could not be found doubtless his excited master thought sam a great thief to take himself away in the manner he did but sam was not concerned on this point all that concerned him was as to how he could get to canada the safest and the quickest when he reached the philadelphia station he felt that the day dawned his joy was full despite the fugitive slave law lewis peck was a man six feet high and of the darkest hue he reported that he fled from joseph bryant a farmer who lived near patapsco river bryant was in the habit of riding around to look after the slaves lewis had become thoroughly disgusted with this manner of superintending i got tired of having bryant riding after me working my life out of me said lewis he was also tired of bryant's wife he said she was always making mischief and i didn't like a mischief maker thus he complained of both master and mistress seeming not to understand that he had no rights which they were bound to respect david edwards broke away from the above-named bryant at the age of twenty-four his testimony fully corroborated that of his comrade lewis peck he was also a man of the darkest shade tall intellect good and wore a pleasant countenance the ordinary difficulties were experienced but all were surmounted without serious harm edward casting and joseph henry were each about seventeen years of age boys as they were with no knowledge of the world they had wisely resolved not to remain in that condition edward fled from robert moore who lived at duck creek he gave his master the name of being a bad man and refused to recommend him for anything being a likely-looking chattel he would have doubtless brought seven hundred dollars in the market joseph henry came from queen anne county maryland he was a well-grown lad, and showed traces of having been raised without proper care or training. For deficiencies in this direction, he charged Greenberry Parker, his claimant, who he said had treated him bad. Friends had helped these boys along. George and Albert White were brothers. They fled from Cecil County, Maryland. They escaped from William Parker. What kind of a man was William Parker, they were asked? He was a big, bad man, no goodness in him, quickly replied one of the brothers. Their lot in slavery had not been different from that of numbers coming from that section of the state. Joseph G. Johnson fled from William Jones of Baltimore. He said that his master kept a grocery store in Pratt Street, and owned six head of slaves, that he was a good man and always treated his servants very well, until about three weeks before he escaped for some reason unknown to joseph within the time just alluded to he had sold all his slaves with the exception of himself joseph was far from being at ease as he hourly felt oppressed with the fear that he was to be sold at an early day summoning courage he started by the baltimore and wilmington railroad in this way he reached wilmington where he unfortunately fell into the hands of his master's son who resided in wilmington and happened to discover joseph in the cars 
most likely he had been telegraphed to, and had him arrested and returned. But Joseph did not allow a week to pass over him before he was ready to make even a still more daring adventure for his liberty. This time he concluded to try the water. By great economy he had saved up twenty-five dollars. This was a great deal to him, but he resolved to give it all willingly to any man who would secret him or procure him a passage to Philadelphia. The right man was soon found, and Joseph was off again. Good luck attended him, and he reached the committee safely. He was in his twenty-third year, a man of medium size, copper-colored, and of a prepossessing countenance. David Snively ran away from Frederick, Maryland. He was moved to escape solely by the love of freedom. His services had been required in the blacksmith shop, and on the farm under Charles Preston, who claimed to own him. He had been sold once, and brought nine hundred dollars. He resolved that a similar fate should never overtake him, unless his owner moved very suddenly in that direction. While Joseph was working daily in the blacksmith shop, he was planning how to make good his escape. No way was open but the old route, which led hard by many dangers, and was only accessible now and then through regions where friends were few and far between. Howbeit, he possessed the faith requisite, and was victorious. Joseph was twenty-six years of age, of unmixed blood, ordinary size, and had a commendable share of courage and intellect. He could recommend no good traits as his master's. Henry Dunmore had served as a slave up to the age of thirty-five, and was then on the eve of being sold. As he had endured severe hardship under his old master John Malden, he was unwilling to try another. While he gave Malden credit for being a member of the Methodist Church, he charged him with treating himself in a most unchristian-like manner. He testified that Malden did not allow him half enough to eat, and once he kept him out in the cold until his toes were frozen off. Consequently, it was not in the heart of Henry to give his master any other than a bad name. He lived about sixteen miles from Elkton, near Charleston, Maryland. He was of a dark chestnut color, well made and active. End of section 21